Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. So good to be back with you all on a Tuesday. Hope you all had a great weekend. On today's episode, I'm going to kind of keep the, this intro short and sweet because we're going to forego the news segment because we got a longer uh, episode for the bulk, the mid, the meat of the podcast, which is me and my friend Brian Harper, who's been on the podcast, if you remember him, from back in, I want to say... September, roughly, um, August, maybe. Um, he came on, detailed his experience, you know, being in the minor leagues for a while, and then um, kind of coming back to the church and reactivating himself and the testimony that he's gained, you know, throughout that whole process. And he was so candid about how he shared that. So I actually wanted to bring Brian back on to do the same thing. But from my perspective, which I think I have kind of an interesting story, if I do say so myself, I'm not sure. Um, but I thought it was worth telling. And kind of going through some of that and I just wanted Brian to be there to kind of help facilitate that conversation so um, I thought it was very useful and I hope you all appreciate this uh, I'm it is kind of more kind of on the vulnerable side of things um, talking about all this you know it's obviously the title of the podcast episode is my disciplinary counsel so that's a that's no small thing to think about or sorry to talk about and to rehash but you know it is a sacred experience to me and i feel like i treated it as such throughout the conversation kind of giving some background and my thoughts kind of leading up to all that kind of the the mindset that i grew up with and i mean not necessarily the domineering mindset but just kind of what you get exposed to along the way and how that can kind of shift your perspective on some things and really really affect the path that you take anyway i was hoping this would be helpful for others that you know, are a little bit scared or nervous if they feel like they've strayed too far from the path and how to come back. Because I've been there. Believe me, I've been there. And so hopefully this can give some people the courage to take a similar path that I had where, you know, you veer off for a bit, but you find your way back. And anyway, if it is helpful, let me know. Um, I'd love to hear your own experience as well. And I hope you all are doing well. Like I said, Hope it's a good Christmas season for you coming off this weekend and that you're gearing up for a great week. I'll be back on Thursday or Friday. I'll drop an episode that I've got ready and we'll go from there. It's kind of more BYU sports related for those that are uh, anxious or anticipating that or not. There you go. Anyway, love y'all. Have a good one. We'll see you on the other side. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. The, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, Mormons the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, man. You're back. I am. First time in studio, though. If that's what you want to call it. <laughs> it's, it's a, oh, sorry. Sorry we don't have the, the spongy egg thing on the walls to make it look more like a studio to your suiting. No, it'll be all right. All right? I'll, I'll, it'll suffice. Listen, man, I've been looking forward to this. How about you? As have I. There's no, yes, there's no doubt. I'm very pumped to be here. No time like the present to mention this, by the way. I'm going to get you more involved. All right. Because I like, you and I have been keeping in touch regularly. Um, and it's been good. And we've talked, we touch on a lot of different topics, for mm -hmm. one. And another, 
um, specifically like gospel centric stuff, spiritual thoughts, things like that. And I feel like you and I have a good back and forth. So I'm like, why not bring Brian up? Like bring him around. The Harper and Harper show. That's right. <laughs> Which one's first? Which one's first? That's for everyone else to decide. <laughs> <laughs> We will just keep it that way, just well, with the Harper and Harper, and you know. Or, or we could we could just full on rebrand and do Brian Harper in big in bit in big uh, letters Anderson. Oh, it's a Get merged it? one. Got Get it? it? Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, oh, what was that show? Not password. There was one where you had to like start from one word and you had to end with another one. But you had like five gaps in between. It was a game show on Game Show Network. Uh, yeah, never. Uh, chain, chain, chain reaction. Got mm. it. Nailed it. Were you a big Game Show Network guy? Oh yeah. You kind of seem like it actually. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was me and Bryce's when we were home for uh, summers. Mm-hmm. Right, we would be home, and uh, Price is Right. Okay. And then Jerry Springer. I did watch Price is Right all the time. Your parents let you watch Jerry Springer? They weren't home. They didn't know that. <laughs> Good point. Fair. And then Mari Povich. <laughs> you, are, you are not the father. Or the, like, bad kids that had the boot camp coming. Dude, if you ever wanted, like, a big adrenaline rush, you watch, like, Mari Povich or Jerry Springer. Yeah. And you're like, you feel like you can go, like, lift a thousand pounds after that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, he's not the father? This is wild. The baby looks just like him. 100%. That was like jacked. It was like side notes for me and Bryce. <laughs> Afterwards. Yeah, after like the side show. bets. Right? It was like, oh, this is definitely the father. No, it's not. Yeah, it is, dude. 100%. No, it's not. I told you, dude. I told dude, they have you. the same eyes, man. Yeah. Look at the, look how yeah. far apart their yeah. eyes are. They, the there's nose. some resemblance yeah. there. <laughs> We're terrible. <laughs> Elementary school and middle school, we're we're determining this the father and child's fate. Uh, no other no other better way to grow up, as far as I'm concerned, man. But then we turn it over to a game show network, and we'd watch like old school Password or twenty five thousand dollar Pyramid. You know, those well, that's ones. the thing. Growing up in Vegas, dude, there's nothing else to do. And like, when it's a no, no, hold on, hold on. Hey, this is coming from somebody that grew up in Vegas for a large portion of his childhood, so I'm not just saying this. Okay, I'm glad you I'm glad you clarified that <laughs> yeah. large portion of childhood. So I was 11, man. That's a big. I'm just saying nothing to do in terms of like how hot it is during the summers, yeah. as you noted. It is so freaking hot there sometimes, like 115 by 11 a.m. and you're just like, yeah, but that's few and far between. Well, we're not going outside today. That's few and far between though. Normally it's like 105 to 108. On average. Oh, gosh. It sounds terrible. It gets up to like 102 here. I know, but on average, you said 105 to 108. Okay. Well, what are you, on average, 98 during the summers here? That's a good question, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking... Just enough eight? to go outside and not want to kill yourself. Yeah. 108 is not bad. It's the 113 that Phoenix has to deal with and the 115 and the 118. That's, yeah. All right. Phoenix, Phoenix is rough, man. Phoenix yeah. is rough. So well, why, why am I here? Harper? Why are you here, man? Yeah. What? In fact, I've called you here today for a specific reason. Uh, you know why you're here, which I'm very glad you decided to show up, dude. And not decided to show up makes it sound like it was a last second decision. But um, I'm glad 
you were up for this task because I wanted to do this. At first, I was thinking maybe I'd just do it alone. And then I was like, well, you know what? Let's, it'd be nice to have somebody that kind of like plays the role of the interviewer, facilitator, the audience, whatever you want to call it. Because this is something I've actually wanted to talk about for a bit. And I think it's important. And it goes right along the lines of what you spoke about when you were on the podcast a couple months ago for the first time, obviously. And um, I think it's a good idea to just kind of share a little bit more of my background because it is helpful for you know listeners to get to know me a little bit better for one where I come from and also I think stories like these can be very helpful um when you referred to it in your own in the, in your episode which I can't remember which number that was but it would have been the most important one the most important episode for sure yeah it was like episode 108 or something like that. I don't know. It's just a few episodes ago. But um, you came on. You talked about um, in, in, a, in a fairly vulnerable moment, quite frankly, which is what I'm embracing right now as well. Talked about kind of like your inactivity growing up. And, and, and in your words, from what I understand, like not in not the most active family, a lot in large part due to the fact that you guys were always out playing baseball and just gone traveling around the country, things like that. Um. And you talked about how like everybody has their season and everybody's season is different. And I understand where that's coming from. I get kind of how sometimes we feel the call at different stages of our lives. The only thing I would add in my own um, experience is that we can be active about making it our season, so to speak, like we can contrive when that when we may feel that call and i think stories like these like yours like mine can kind of help call that some people into action now as i go through this i don't want to make it seem like i it i've I've like overcome this huge battle in my life and i'm good because it's still a battle like as you're aware like you and I talk regularly enough to know that like there's like peaks and valleys, right? Like we're we're going through it on the daily, quite frankly, of just trying to become better people. So I'll go ahead and just kind of get rolling and feel free to pepper in any questions, any clarifiers, anything you see fit. But until then I'll just kind of roll like I'm good at just talking, you know, I love hearing myself talk so much. What other person starts the podcast? (laughs) I'm just excited to be here because I haven't heard this story. Right. I think I've heard bits and pieces of uh, you sharing it. And um, I think as active members and members that are trying to grow their testimonies as much as possible... Um, it's good to share, obviously, but it's also good to hear other people's testimonies of it. And, um, anybody that is struggling or, you know, maybe doubting things, um, in their lives and their friends' lives, things like that, like, it's good to hear, to be, you know, reassured that, you know, everything that we kind of believe in is in our minds and hearts and bodies and souls is true. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, 
I'm, I'm very honored that you uh, asked me to do this, and I am very excited to hear it. So cool. let's hear it. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Appreciate it. So it, I referenced this beginning part. Like, honestly, I think it all started uh, in, in Provo, Utah. If I'm, being, if I'm being sincerely honest, though, I think it started growing up in a culture where pornography was rampant. Um, and, and the way I put it is, and this is, wow, like I didn't actually think I'd go down this route necessarily, but it's kind of funny when you think about how our generation and you and I are a couple years apart is all. So it's definitely the same generation. We, we got screwed in some senses. Now, I don't mean to say that we're victims because I think just uh, like us having gone through something doesn't mean that like, oh, like we just rough shake. That's that. No, I think we actually have the power to make a difference because on the other side, we can, make things better, right? And and respond better than maybe our parents did the generation before, a couple of generations before us. But what I mean by that is we kind of got screwed in the sense of how pornography became so prevalent. And by that I mean, think about when our parents grew up. Our parents grew up in an era, 60s, 70s roughly, where, you know, if you wanted to look at pornography, it was... It was, it, you had to like go to a certain part of town. You had to talk to the town pervert, so to speak. Like you just didn't go over there and everybody knew that. Like you just don't go past fifth street. Like that's just where the demons reside, whatever. Um, a lot easier to avoid. Now, fast forward to them becoming parents and the internet comes around mid nineties. Every household in America is starting to adopt this thing called the internet. And they're like, well, what is this? It's this amazing new technology that makes communication instantaneous. And among many other things, one of those other things was, oh, guess what? Pornography now is very accessible, not just accessible in your household. They'll push it on you. We all remember those spam emails, right? Like all caps, open me now, you know? I guess, I'll, well, okay, I don't, this email thing is cool. You know, it's like I have friends or whatever. You got mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you open it and it's pornography. And, and that's just, you just call a spade a spade. So, you know, as you grow up in this, you kind of are intrigued, especially raging hormones, all that stuff. And um, our parents, their reaction, bless their hearts. And I make this generally, you know, this is broadly applicable. You know, my mom is pretty good at these type of things, but I wouldn't call, I wouldn't have said her reactions were like spot on 100%. Um, but I, I was fortunate that she was pretty in tune with some things and she knew how to communicate. You know, she's a marriage and family counselor now and does a great job with all that. But even then, like she probably left some things to be desired as a parent where what I, I couldn't help but think that my parents' thought process was, wait a second, like when they find out one of their kids had looked at porn, they're like, Wait, I, didn't, I didn't raise the town pervert. Like, that's not who we are. We avoid that. We avoid that side of town. And so they're kind of just equating it to what they grew up with. And I understand that. So their reaction might be somewhat visceral. And they may be thinking, we got to rid this of our house immediately. Like, you are not that way. You are not a terrible, bad, a no good person, right? So as a kid, you're kind of thinking, oh, freak, well, then 
then I'll never, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll never look at it again. But then guess what you do? And you're like, but I don't want to tell anyone now because I don't want to go through all that again. Right. You know? And so you start to live this secret for a long time. Now, fortunately, and I'm not just saying this, that wasn't anything that I like dealt with too heavily, I would say. But being in kind of that upbringing where it's just available, it's around and your brain gets trained in certain ways, like it's pretty ugly stuff, obviously. I think that kind of created a foundation, so to speak, of, for one, not really understanding what a true relationship is. Um, but taking that, you know, going on my mission, very, very glad I did that and not having any issues really, for the most part, on, on my mission, um, thinking I could come back and rebound no problem was mostly the case, but... It didn't go away completely, but that's not really the overall point. Like I'm saying, that's the foundation. But then when you mix that with going to BYU, going off to college, BYU likes to play this game. And I think that kind of the church likes to do this a lot too, and the state of Utah in general, which is we want to be like the world, but we don't want to be the world, right? In the world, not of the world. It's kind of the opposite of that. It's like of the world, not in the world or yeah. something. And... um what we the, the the vernacular we used was the same we'd say oh did you hook up did you hook up with that girl the other night and we'd be like oh yeah yeah for sure but to us what was hooking up hooking up was making out it was playing like moral morality chicken so to speak and you're it's like you, who's who's going to be the first to put down their their uh the line draw the line right, right? and you get into this, once again, this kind of this process of, oh, but like, that's what we do, because that's just what hooking up, that's what college is, right? It's cool. Well, fast forward to that mentality being adopted at BYU, which is so stupid. Like, and, and I mean that. I'm not saying that because it's like, oh, I'm above that. It's, I'm better than that now. I'm saying that because it's like, why, why would you try and toggle that line? Like, what, there's nothing peculiar about that. Are you going to be in the church and then the gospel, or are you not? Like, that's right. that's that. And so that's what I mean. Like, that vernacular is just kind of stupid to look back at. But um, take that mentality and fast forward to me going off to Texas Tech to further my education. Um, I got accepted into a program there, Media and Communications. And um, what happens when you go outside of Utah? You know, it's a whole lot different, bud. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Right? Yeah, you <laughs> might know a, a thing or two. Different. You might know a thing or two about yeah. that, right? So, um, I did a pretty good job of just kind of doing my own thing for a while. I didn't have, like, I have some, I have some people that I'm still friends with now that I met in Lubbock, but even then, when I lived in Lubbock, I wasn't like hanging out with these people all the time. Yeah. A lot of good people there, though. Really. Yeah. A lot of great people, but. I kind of did my own things on the weekends. You want to talk about nothing to do. Lubbock does not have a whole lot to do besides drinking right? yeah. or partying or whatever. No, I had a, I had a cousin that went to Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, proud. yeah, I know all about that. Um, was there a – did you have a group of LDS friends or did you attend an institute while you are there? Did you have, I, did yeah. you have a good influence on that end at least? So I did go to Institute, but I probably started going to Institute after 
kind of how I'm, that part, that major part of that story, mm-hmm. where kind of the story climaxes. Yeah. But um, I went to church. Yeah. Uh, probably my, f- what what I'm getting at is you were probably few. Yeah. One of few members. Yeah, exactly. I was, yeah. and in my program. I was, it was just me and another friend who actually had come from BYU. He was, he's one of my best friends. He's, okay. he's a professor out at Alabama. Um, roll Tide. Roll Tide, that's right. Not this year, though. <laughs> um, but uh, he, uh, he was married, or he is married, and has two kids. And so he had family obligations. I got that. I wasn't, I never like felt like I wanted to, like we were gonna, supposed to be hanging out the whole time anyway. But they, and they were even great. They invited me over to plenty of things. Like, we stayed. That friendship is awesome. But, like, Friday night, Saturday night, like, what's going to happen? Yeah. I'd go to movies with him on occasion, movies with a couple other people on occasion. But for the most part, it'd be like, if I want to hang out with the people that I'm going to school with, I got to go to a bar. Yeah. Which I did at first because I um, didn't want to make it seem like I was shunning them by any means. I didn't struggle with drinking at that point or anything. And so... That wasn't an issue, and I was kind of happy to maintain that friendship with those people, but then that kind of dissipated, and I was like, back to doing my own thing Friday, Saturday nights. One of my favorite things to do while I'd be there would be like, go to the gym late on a Friday night, come home and just like chill, watch a movie. probably empty. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was really like one of the best times to go. It really was, and a lot of times it'd close at like midnight. Right. So really cool to like have the whole gym to myself, basically. And they have a a dope rec center. I don't know if your cousin told you that. Hmm. They have a really cool rec center out there in Texas Tech. But anyway, so, well, I start getting a little bit more bored. Go to the dating apps, finding girls to take out, things like that. Well, that's where it all starts, that slippery slope. These girls aren't members. They're part of that culture. No, no knock on them, but like that's just, it's just a different mindset. And I, of course, I wouldn't knock them. It's me that needs to be... Right. Like, <laughs> talk to Yeah, no doubt. In line, right? I was the one that knew better, for sure. Um, you'd go out, you know, you'd find yourself back at your place, their place, whatever. And um, you, you, it's that same mentality. It's that BYU mentality. It's like, oh, yeah, like, what? No harm, no foul. Like, you get a little bit closer. You get to start nuzzling in, all that stuff. One thing leads to another. But guess who's not playing morality chicken? Right. The other person. And like, how pathetic is that looking back on that I felt like that safety net was always going to be there just because I happened to be with somebody that was born into the same culture as I was for the most part and supposedly lived those standards because I wasn't. Right. Right. And so you take that mentality, apply it in another place like West Texas, and you're going to run into trouble. Here's the worst part, though, dude. Um, I was... This isn't the worst part, but I was still going to church. I was still active. The worst part is this went on for maybe about a year, roughly. And um, I held a calling. And it was like, I mean, should I just say it? I don't know. I don't know what's appropriate. But um, I think it does play I, a role. So I'll I think, say it. I think withholding a calling, I mean, I think you're fine with that. It was a... It was a it okay. It was an, it was elders quorum president. Okay, and I only say that because you're looked at as a leader, right? Yeah. Um, and as an example, and I remember, um, just like I feel kind of sick, like thinking back to this, like that's that was going on while I was elders quorum president, and um, I 
remember starting to feel that dissonance grow larger in my head. And it was this very clear, like a fork in the road, just like, which way, which way can I go? Do you want to be a member of the church? Do you want that? Do you want to be active? Do you want to live that lifestyle? Or do you want to reject it? Because right now you do not have the mental capacity to embrace this lifestyle that you have where you're supposedly active, have this calling, but doing everything that you know you shouldn't. And so that dissonance was growing. I remember specifically it was a ward conference and my stake president spoke on morality. And I had this thought where it's like, holy cow, you're like, you're living a lie, man. Like you are living a lie. Like you are not who people think you are. And I played this game. And this was, this was a thought experiment that I think is really good for a lot of people to kind of check on themselves. It's like you look at yourself in the mirror and you ask, if you had a friend who was just like you and you knew everything about that person, would you want to set that person, that friend of yours up on a date with somebody that you cared about? A close lady friend, a sister, whoever. And my answer was a resounding no. Yeah. I was like, no chance. Well, think about it this way too. If, I mean, speaking of the calling, right? Like if you were doing the calling, would you call this person knowing what you know about them? Would you call them into exactly. power, of, you know, exactly. power of authority? So, Which, what is that, right? That's, that's intellectual honesty. 100%. Right? That's, and that's what I think is the genesis of two things. Pure intellectual honesty is the genesis of repentance and like growing into who you really should become. The antithesis to that, I think, is where mental health starts to become a burden. Yeah. It's basically when you cannot be honest with who you really are. And I think that's where that dissonance grows and that's where depression can come into play, anxiety or whatever else, many worse things. Right. Well, you're projecting at that point, yeah. right? Like you're you're wanting to project a certain, you know, attitude or a, you know, a picture for people, right? You're putting on that mask, but in actuality, you're you know in your heart that you're I hate even saying that, but like living a lie, right? Right. Like, I mean, straight to the point, blunt, right? Like just in, in your own, like in your own life, you know, when you're sitting in your room, you know, door shutting by yourself, like you're, you know, in your heart, you're living a lie. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I was like, this is a joke. Like I can't, like I've been raised better than this. Like I want better than this. I've tasted better than this. Yeah. Like. My mission played a big role in that because it's like, I, I still believe all that stuff big time, you know, and I, I felt the spirit like I knew I knew the truth and to reject that would come with like a wholesale rejection of everything I'd experienced to that point in my life. And there was no way I was willing to do that. So what's behind door number two? Immediate repentance. Yeah. And, you know, I played that game in my head, too, where I was like, well, what if like I can maybe wait till I get released and then it'll be easier to just kind of like deal with it. Like, not not saying I wouldn't talk to the bishop, but like maybe maybe if I like abstained, didn't have that calling anymore, 
then waited like six months, talked to my bishop and be like, hey, bishop, guess what? Like a while back, like I was having real issues with this, that and the other. Come clean about everything. I would never want I wouldn't right. like I wouldn't even then I wasn't thinking I'd lie or paint a different picture to my bishop. But it was more like let let time kind of heal some of those wounds, so to speak. But I was sitting there thinking, like, what are you waiting for, man? Like, your mental health is on the line. Like, your morality is on the line. Like, your your repentance is on the line. You have already caused so much pain to your Savior to this point. Why are you going to, like, try and push that even a little bit further? But I think you're going through the same thing everybody goes through when it comes to repentance, right? It's that hesitation. It's the intimidation factor of sitting down and, you know, on the other side of that desk, you know, and confessing yeah. right so you're it's completely understandable that you're going through that mm-hmm. at at that moment right but sounds like you made a choice obviously yeah. and I, and it was it was like well okay whatever's harder like in fact i was actually just talking to a guy on the podcast he was um kyle deaver he was just on the one of the more recent episodes and he said pick your hard he's like being overweight is really hard. Going to the gym is also hard. Pick your heart. And you can actually apply that to this too, where it's like, pick your heart, man. Like, yeah, confession is hard. Repentance is hard. But not doing those things and living in a world of dissonance is even harder in my mind. And so it was like, what are you waiting for? And so, and, and I was also kind of like thinking, and this is probably where I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm being hard on myself, maybe I'm not, but I kind of thought like, like don't be a like don't be a bitch dude <laughs> like, like freaking just go repent <laughs> like, just go repent like what are you wait what are you scared of man what are you scared of and it's like and yeah you're talking about the intimidation factor for sure i get that why you'd be scared and here's the thing i'm talking from a male perspective i do want to make that clear because there is a dynamic there that, and I'm not trying to sound woke. I think everybody knows that that's listening to this. I'm not a woke guy, but I will acknowledge there is a dynamic there as a female that I will never understand when it comes to confessing to a male figure of authority figure, priesthood holder, all that. 100%. I'm not going to pretend to know what that's like. That yeah. could be even more intimidating. So I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but from a male perspective, it's like, what the hell am I waiting for? What am I scared of? Like, the, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, I could get excommunicated. That's bad. But is that worse than living a lie? No. That and, was my answer. And we were raised, right, from our parents, be a man. Yeah. Right? Be a man. Mm-hmm. Right? And today's society might look down upon that. But, yeah. you know, I, you know, buck up, buttercup, right? Like, here we go. Yeah. Put your big boy pants on, yeah. right? You go find that dog, right? <laughs> like that type thing, right? That's right. Get out dude. there and find it, yeah. you know? And that's what you need to do, right? Yeah. So, so you're right, man. I uh it was that ward conference that my stake president was speaking in, President Shumway. I'll never it, forget that guy. Side note, it always always seems to happen. What do you mean? Like with talks, when you're going through something, oh yeah, it seems like you need to hear right certain things mm-hmm. at that moment in time, and it just it's. I've I've come to realize that it's not eerie as I used to think it was. Right, yeah. it used to give me such anxiety 
when I would go in there and then they'd be talking like literally to me. Yeah. They're like right? looking at you, yeah. speaking right to your soul. Right. Yeah. And you just, you feel that. Right. And that used to scare, like used to give me the heebie jeebies. Right. <laughs> I'm just pulling lines right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I brought you, man. This is why I brought you. It's perfect. Uh, but no, man, it's like you, you needed to hear that in, in that moment. Right. And that's the, you know, that's what, that's what tipped it, tipped you over. It yeah. seemed like so president Shumway, man, he was speaking right to me. Yeah. So I, uh, after that meeting, I went to my Bishop, we're right up to my Bishop, Bishop Voorhees, big dude, Jason. Yeah. What's funny is he actually dressed up as Michael Myers for Halloween one time though. That is a miss opportunity. Big swing and a miss, right? <laughs> he was a big dude, though, dude. He's, like, bigger than you, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he chopped all those kids' heads off at that camp. Yeah, my Crystal bishop Lake. didn't do that. Oh, but, sorry. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, Bishop Voorhees, Mark Voorhees, great dude. Living out in Arizona now these days, I think. But um, I went up to him, and I'm like, hey, Bishop, uh, could we talk? And <laughs> since I'm the... Since I was the elders corn president at the time, he's like, yeah, he's like, is this going to be a quick meeting or like, do you, do you need to like sit down and like talk about something? <laughs> it's like, uh, it's not going to be a quick meeting. And he's like, all right, cool. <laughs> he literally was like, he wasn't even awkward about it, but it was funny that he knew like in that context, it could have just been like a quick elders corn thing, right? right? Boom, get in, get 100%. out, right? Like he's like, we don't need to be in my office for this, whatever, like. So he's like, okay, cool. Meet me after, right after uh, Sunday school or something like that. I can't remember. He's like, maybe 30 minutes into Sunday school. And I was like, perfect. I don't like Sunday school anyway. So <laughs> just kidding. I love it. Yeah. You I better. love it. Mr. Sunday school president. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Everybody go to your classes. Okay. Appreciate your teachers. They work hard. Oh, okay? I do. Man. Go ahead. You know, listen to them and, you know, participate. All right. This isn't about you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Go All right, Doc. All right, so, um, go step into his office, and it's funny you say that like they're behind that big desk. One thing I remember specifically, and I think this was like something he did a lot, and I think a lot more leaders are doing this, is he sat in front of his desk. Oh, really? He sat in front to face me to like have no space in between, and I think that he did that on with that in mind, where he's just like, listen, like I don't want this to make seem like a barrier. Like I'm here with you. Yeah. So. The way my bishop did it. First time we met, it was just more casual, like, you know, talking. We just sat next to each other, you know. Yeah. Space in between. We weren't sitting in chair next to the next same chair because there was a gap. Good call. Yeah. You always <laughs> want to do that if you can. Yeah. You had a movie theater with your buddy. You always leave that up. Yeah. yeah empty seat. Sure. Okay. We're your empty sitting. Yeah. Okay. But I was fully ready to go in and lay everything on, on you know, lay it out there. Right. Mm-hmm. He told me it wasn't that type meeting, and the reason he sat behind his desk was for us to lay everything on the table. Mm. And I loved, absolutely loved that visual representation. Yeah, that's a good illustration. Because it's here. Like, I have this big old desk for you, okay? it's There's nothing on it. Like, you fill this desk with what you need. Yeah. So, I mean, I love both approaches regardless, but, um, yeah, it's it's... Good to see that at least he was like, I'm here with you, you know? Yeah, no, I did. Mourn with the mourn type thing. For sure, exactly. Mourn with those that mourn. And it felt warm. It felt like there was a lot of love there. So I'm in his office and I, we sit down and I'm like, well, 
like I'm gonna. I, I don't know how I prefaced it, but I just was like, "This is just been needing to talk to you for a while." And I go into my whole thing and I tell him about everything, take him through the whole stuff, um, sequence of events, so to speak. And the first thing he does is he stands up and he gives me a hug and he tells me he loves me, yeah. which was amazing. And that was something that stuck with me forever. And that felt real. He was very just like warm. And what's so funny about this guy too is, and I, I kind of hope he listens to this, but like he's one of the most abrasive bishops I've ever had in my life. Okay. Super loving. Like no joke will liter- would literally give you the shirt off of his back. Literally. He would do that. And not because he wants to be that guy. It's because he actually cares about people that way. Like the things he has done for people were just like, it, the proof was in the pudding. He did that stuff. So that was all real. But like I played basketball with him before and I'm like, dude, you're kind of being an a-hole right now. <laughs> I feel like I might get along with this guy. Maybe. Yeah, you probably would actually. Because you're kind of an a-hole right now. Sometimes. <laughs> just sometimes. Yeah. But hey, I side stories, things like that. But yeah, I I tend to show my love by making fun of people oh yeah I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very aware of that like i said dude when we were chilling last weekend i was like i'm too hungry to defend myself so i just kept chomping away <laughs> just eating my chimichanga man and then i started going into food coma <laughs> i was like let's get out of here harper's a good time okay so is harper <laughs> well played mauer um all right so we go through in there and I'm like, I'm still, I'm pretty nervous because I'm like, and I think I even asked him, I was like, so am I going to have to go through a disciplinary council? And he's like, probably, but uh, I don't know. Like that's up for the state president to decide. And I was probably asking a lot of questions in that moment because there was still that nervousness in my mind yeah. where I'm like, okay, like what are, like, what do you think will happen? All that stuff. And he was just like, I, I honestly don't know. Like, this is something I got to escalate. You'll talk with president Sean Wayne. We'll go from there. But he was like super supportive, super loving. And he's like, but I'll set up that meeting, you know, as soon as possible. Because to me, and I know you and I have talked about this, for as daunting as that is going into a meeting like that, where you're just not laying everything on the table. And it's, it's tough, man. Like you, repentance is, is a scary thing because it's literally like looking at yourself in the mirror and just stripping yourself of everything that you feel like is a value. You're just like, just lay it all there. Just like, this is, is, un- is unclean. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your vices, everything ugly about you is just like there out there in the open. And, um, as daunting as that is coming out of there is one of the best feelings you can have. I know you can relate to that. We've yeah. talked about this. Like, that's the under-discussed aspect of repentance, I think, is that when you actually confront it without leaving any trace of any any residual effects, anything that you're like, oh, maybe I won't talk about that soon because that's a little bit too scary. Like, no, you literally don't leave any stone unturned and you come out the other side just being like, it's like Andy Dufresne, man, crawling through a mile of and came out clean on the other side, you know? That's what repentance felt like to me with my bishop. Now, I still have to talk with the state president at this point. 
So I'm still a little like super nervous. But at that point, I felt really good because I was like, I even remember telling my bishop, I was like, I don't feel good conducting elders quorum anymore. I don't feel good about that. And he's like, I got you. Don't worry. Like, we'll, uh, we'll cover for you and uh, we'll, uh, you know, make the necessary adjustments. I didn't even have to like, like they just released me like in the following weeks, like no questions. And there's that whole like trepidation behind the stigma. And I'll, I'll circle back to this in a bit. But that stigmatization of like being the one, you know, that was elders quorum president or whatever. It doesn't have to be any calling even. If you're not taking the sacrament in front of everybody, like, like how exposed do you feel? Dude, I got over that in a second. And the reason why was because I would much rather be the person that was working on overcoming their sins than the person that was lying about them by taking the sacrament. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. Nobody's watching. Yeah. That's the big scare, right? Like everybody's going to see me not take the sacrament. Yeah. Like, no, maybe the person directly across the aisle, maybe the person sitting on your row. Right. But who cares? You are doing what's right. Right. And they should be excited for you. Yeah. Right. Dude, that's, that's, that's what it should be. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, Like if you see, if you see somebody not taking the sacrament, I know like, and I mean you and me specifically, not like in general, but like you and me, if you see somebody not take the sacrament, what's your first feeling towards that person? Now? Yeah. Having gone through it? Yeah. I'm pumped for them. Yeah. You're like, dude, congrats. Now, hopefully that's an indication that they're working on something. Now, it could just be that they're like, I don't feel worthy and that's that. You know, it's like, okay. But at the same time, they're not living a lie. Exactly. And that's that's the bigger part of this whole thing. Dude, there are a couple thoughts on this, by the way. One of my good, good buddies, I served with this guy, he listens to the pod, awesome dude, doctor, living out in Arizona. Shout out, shout out to you, Cater. Um, he, uh, I told him when I went through this whole thing, called him up, we were talking, and I told him, I was like, dude, I just went through a disciplinary council. Like, spoiler alert, jumping ahead. I'll get back to it. Don't worry, I'll go through the whole thing. But um, first thing he said to me, He's like, dude, that's awesome. Like, that's like, and, and immediately I'm like, dude, you're right. That is awesome. Like, that is like not, not the fact that I lived a life that led me to that point. That's not the awesome part. But whatever I had done, that's fixed. It's done. It's over. The awesome part is that you're dealing with this the way you should. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you're right. It is awesome. And it feels awesome. Like, this, I'm on the track that I need to be on. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to give that because that was a, that resonated with me quite a bit. It was also comforting. But anyway, then there was another side too where the stigmatization thing, I remember in that time frame too when I was going through that process, um, I'd often go through Colorado to get home if I was driving. And I had a bunch of siblings that lived in Colorado at the time, three with all their families. One of the times I uh, stopped by my sister's and I went to church with her, but I warned her and I said, hey, I'm not taking the sacrament right now. I tell you this because, like, I know, believe it or not, some of your kids look up to me about some things, I think. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) But um, uh, I was like, I I can sit out in the foyer if you want. Like, not taking the sacrament in front of them wasn't an option. I wasn't going to do that. Right. So I told her, I was like, I can, like, come late. I can sit in the foyer. I can sit somewhere else or whatever. And my sister immediately was like, no. My kids, like... No, like, you're fine. Don't take it in front of them. That's fine. I know my kids. They're not going to judge you. That's not about that. 
And if anything, they see you as an example anyway of the way to go about doing it the right way. And it was just like, once again, it was that comforting feeling. It's like, yeah, there's no, there's, there's only as much of a stigmatization as you want there to be in these scenarios, I feel like. And, and our mind does that. It does. And it's the devil at work. 100%. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Okay. 100%. Everybody's going to judge me. Everybody's going to you know, know that I'm going through this, right? I'm a bad person. I don't, need, I don't even want to start this process, right? But just like you said, as soon as you leave that bishop's office, that spiritual momentum that you have is unlike is is un like untested like untried like you were no competition right zero competition with that because that is yeah. the, like pinnacle of pinnacles when it comes to that and that's why going into the disciplinary council bishop probably wanted to make it happen as quick as possible but you've already got that ball rolling and you can't stop that boulder coming down that mountain i'm sorry but you cannot you can't man. you can't because it's it's going and you're like nothing's going to stop me now. Dude, that's a hundred percent right. It is. It's like, and I love that the spiritual momentum, because that's what president Nelson talked about earlier this year in conference, April, 2022. Like he gives a speech, give this talk on spiritual momentum. And I've always kind of wondered like, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Well, he gave like five specific like ways in which we can garner spiritual momentum. And one of them was daily repentance among many other things, which like that talk is incredible and like you're right dude how do we how do we get that spiritual momentum because it is powerful it is so powerful so i meet with president shumway and at that point he's like i'll tell you right now brother um i think you'll have a disciplinary council but even then like still got to be sure this is the direction we want to go the direction the lord wants to go and so i thought okay sounds good but i was at that point i was counting on it it wasn't necessarily a matter of whether I was going to have a disciplinary council. It was a matter of what it, the outcome was going to be, which there are, I don't know if you're familiar. And by the way, I think they call them membership councils now. Yeah. Um, but back then it was a disciplinary council. So I'll probably use those interchangeably or just say disciplinary council, whatever, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so it was really dependent on the outcome. Like what's it going to be? And they, the four outcomes are do nothing, essentially. No discipline. Uh, the second one being, so I get, I think it's, oh, no, okay. Yeah. No outcome is like informal probation. I don't even know if they have these still, but it's informal probation, formal probation, uh, disfellowship and excommunication. So those four things can be the outcome. I think technically there's a fifth, which is do nothing because informal, there might be something, but it's not like a whole lot. So maybe there's five technically because you can come out of a disciplinary council and not have anything happen technically. So I'm thinking disfellowship is very much on the table at this point, which is interesting. I don't know if you knew this, and I may have told you this before, but a disfellowship, if you get disfellowshipped, you can't actually ever serve as a bishop or higher. Now, that was news to me at the time, and I thought... That's not what it's about. Like, it's not like, oh, gosh, like, wow. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't love the idea of screwing over my own potential because of my own actions. Like, and I'm saying potential, like, that potential's gone. It's like, oh, well, dang, like, okay, that's never going to happen, but whatever. And then it could never very well happen anyway, but that's not the point. Just the, the fact that it's not available anymore is big because that goes on your record as a member of the church. Like, Salt Lake gets that. Maybe they should... Try, like, 
not having that be the case. I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning behind that is, but regardless, it's not, I don't know. Well, I think a lot of it's changed anyways, right? Yeah. So there might be some new there might be. aspects that, I mean, I haven't researched any of it, so I, I couldn't tell you either way. I, my, I fully went into my repentance process thinking like the worst case scenario, right? Like getting excommunicated type thing. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's, again, that's just the devil at work, so... Um, knowing kind of more about the way the church has moved, it seems like it's eased a little bit. And, you know, I think they realize that members going through the apprentice process, regardless of how bad it may be, they need to be around other members and yeah. be, need to be, you know, comforted and, you know, brought in with open arms, not, you know, kicked out and, you know, with their tail between their legs. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, They've certainly eased up a lot of ways, but and eased up is probably not the best word, right? Because if I don't know how else to put it, yeah, though. It, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. So, I. Uh, I remember one afternoon. I think I was outside. I might have gotten a call. I can't remember. I think I did get a call. Um, from the stake executive secretary. They're like, "Hey, uh, we've got to deliver the letter." I was like, oh, freak. <laughs> you know they do that? I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I didn't. They hand deliver a letter to you. Make sure you got it. It's like being served. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> Immediately just thinking of Pineapple Express. <laughs> You've been served. I haven't seen that one all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces. Uh, it's the beginning part. That's, right. that's Seth Rogen's job. He's serving <laughs> people. Familiar. He dresses up in different costumes. <laughs> He's got a ball in the back of his trunk. Just yeah. Drives around. There you go, dude. Yeah, basically the same thing. Yeah, in fact, it's funny you say that because they made it look like they were pizza delivery guys when they served. <laughs> was good i like that joking of course they showed up in nothing other than Ugh. suit and tie basically there you go um two of them i think a member of the high council showed up with the stake executive secretary handed me the letter uh saying that i was i don't know being summoned or whatever the language is disciplinary council and they had a date and everything but then get this so it's a, i'm about a week and a half to two weeks in after talking to my bishop a few days after that, maybe a week at most, my stake president's wife passes away. Kind of like, kind of out of the blue. She had been sick for a while with something else that was chronic. And I don't think that was what caused her death. So that was kind of like, it was super random. Anyway, a month goes by before, because and so the stake executive secretary calls me. He's like, hey, President Shumway's wife passed away. Like, you're going to... You're gonna have to like be on standby. Basically, we don't know when your your disciplinary council will be back on, but just like hold tight. It's like okay, <laughs> don't. Really... Good thing I got all this momentum. Yeah. Don't really have a choice, do I? Like, do we have any fillers? Does is, can we sub someone in? <laughs> like, jeez. But okay. Yep. Um. In the meantime, I'm obviously just working on myself. You know, whatever it is, what it is, but. I believe they call that time served. Yeah. They consider that for oh, yeah. time served already. Yeah. Um, I remember May 4th, 2017. I'll never forget that day. May the 4th. Happy Star Wars Day. Star Wars Day. That's right. Appreciate that. Yeah. 
Oh boy, did I have the fourth with me. <laughs> That's your fault, dude. <laughs> that cheesy joke was your fault. <laughs> I am a sucker for dad jokes, and that was quality, quality. I love it. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, clear, clear things up. And this is how a disciplinary council goes. I think this is kind of interesting for some people to hear, too. Um, you can bring somebody with you. In my initial, I wanted to bring my close friend that I had mentioned that was out there with me, had gone to the BYU master's program with me, and he was out there in Texas Tech with his family. And he's like, oh, lo- like I'd love to. At first, it was kind of funny, too, because at first he wasn't going to be – he's like, oh, I think I have something that night. <laughs> and, then, and then he came back to me. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, this is a really big deal. Of course I'll be there. Well, they were out of town, so he actually wasn't there anyway. <laughs> out of town is more acceptable. I wouldn't have cared either way. I wouldn't have taken it personally. He's still one of my best friends. I love the guy and his whole family. But um, it was funny to hear him kind of be like, wait, I cannot believe I didn't take this seriously. It's like I didn't really actually – I didn't even think about that perspective. But I was like, dude, don't worry about it. My next option was a no-brainer. It was my bishop. Yeah. Yeah. Brought my bishop with me. And um, first thing I do is I'm just sitting there – President comes, meet with the state president. We go over everything again. And then we both go into the big meeting. Yeah, that's intimidating. Like, no matter who you are, it's kind of intimidating. I think they do it differently now. Like I said, they call them membership council for one. I don't know who was all in attendance. I'm in a seat. My bishop's literally seated, seated right next to me. You have the high council, 12 of them, around a big table. And then you have the state presidency on another table. And then you have the state executive secretary off to the side taking notes now that's intimidating for anybody yeah yeah that's like going ultimate shark tank right Mm -hmm. as much as you would love to pitch to cubes but that's that's intimidating for anybody oh for (laughs) sure man yeah so dude ask sean about shark tank you know he did that i saw that yeah there you go so um yeah we uh intimidating intimidating situation where stake president stands up and kind of gives an overview. He's not there like in the details. I mean, how much of the details are actually shared between you and the state president or the bishop? Anyway, like they get the broad overview. In my experience, details were never asked. If they ever asked anything even resembling a detail, I tell them whatever it was. It's like there, there it is. But it's generally a broad overview. And he recounts the whole thing in front of the high council. And um, then there's a discussion and they did it the way that it appears into the Doctrine and Covenants, which is you have three members of the High Council or High Council that are elected, selected, I should say, to to defend the church, and then three that are selected to defend me, the person who's going under the disciplinary council. And um, he asks both sides. He says do you believe the church has been represented well? And they're like, yeah, we believe so. You know, I'd imagine if they didn't, then they'd speak up and be like, no, we think maybe we need to make sure that the church's integrity and the gospel is still intact and this is why, and so maybe we need to hit on this point a little bit better. I don't know, but that wasn't an issue for mine. And then they said, do you think Brother Anderson has been defended well? Yes. Interesting side note here. A member that had been picked member of the high council that had selected been selected to defend the church was my former first counselor in that singles ward brother johnston raises his hand out of turn and he's like president if i may can i say something and at this point i'm kind of like 
what's what's gonna happen here <laughs> um I wasn't nervous. I had a great relationship with this guy, but this was a very, very, very touching moment. Um, so he's speaking out of turn here, and he says, I know Brother Anderson personally, and I've worked with him, and I know his heart, and I know that he is a great man, and he just, I don't want to, I mean, I don't can't even remember the details of what he was saying, but for him to kind of take that risk, and um, not that he was ever going to be like, like, no present would ever like come down on the guy but he is technically speaking out of turn that was a very touching moment for me because that really conveyed what the atonement is all about like when we're there at the end of the day man you know we're gonna have we're gonna all gonna have our own brother johnston and it's gonna be the savior and he's going to be there as our advocate. And he's going to say, I know this person. I know their heart. And he's going to be right by our side. And it was amazing to witness that firsthand where someone spoke out of turn and said, I know, I know Brother Anderson. And I know who he is. Yeah. That's deep, man. It really is. Absolutely. Go on. <laughs> and... uh I think they opened it up for questions at one point. I can't remember if that was before or after that they went through the defense. Um, and then they dismissed me so they could counsel among themselves. And that's the worst part. Go back into a room with my bishop, Bishop Voorhees. And <laughs> I wish I remembered. I wish I remembered which scripture this was, but... <laughs> We're sitting in the room. It's silent for like 10, 15 minutes. And I'm just like sitting there just, I don't even think I was on my phone. Like I had my phone with me, but I'm like, I'm not busting my phone out in this moment. This is like, this is just, there's too much on my mind. And I think Bishop Voorhees at one point is like, you know what I noticed about in the Book of Mormon? He's like, I was just reading the other day. And he's like, in Alma, I never really knew this before, but did you know that, and he like goes through, I can't remember what it is he's talking about. And I, <laughs> classic worries man. Right. just like just not, he wasn't even purposefully trying to change the subject he wasn't trying to get my mind off of everything going on i really think it was just like him being like hey i think this is cool and i'm gonna share it with you right <laughs> that's amazing if you if you knew if you knew bishop worries like you would totally understand that but um anyway so uh we get called back it's like 45 minutes i think like 30 to 45 like it was yeah, it's it's a tough time, man. Yeah. Go back into the room, and uh, President Shumway uh, asks. I don't think he. I don't remember if he asked anything, but we just like we just we conversed amongst ourselves. Like he said something really interesting before he told me what was coming down. He said, "You need to know." that I've never felt the spirit stronger in this setting with my two counselors as we prayed about this. Now, I don't think he was saying that's the strongest he's ever felt the spirit, but I think he was meaning in that context. And he said, you need to know that this is exactly what the Lord wants for you. And I'm just like sitting here with bated breath, you know, like, okay. And he says... 
we decided to give you a formal probation, but we're going to treat it like a disfellowship where we're going to give you about a year. Because disfellowship, you can't participate in anything for a year, like can't take the sacrament, any of that stuff. Obviously, no time to recommend things like that. Um, but we want this formal probation for you because we think we can handle this internally and we think we can allow you to rehabilitate with us. And we'll, we'll go and we'll play this by ear, you know. And um, it was an amazing moment. The spirit was very strong. The love was very strong. And um, when, I, when I first reflected on him saying, you need to know that this is what the Savior wants for you, my first reaction was, does this mean, um, like, it's a harsh penalty, but sorry, you just got to take it. And that's kind of how I thought maybe it was. That's how he intended it. But it wasn't until like maybe even a couple of years later, whereas I've reflected on it and other times talking with my bishops about whatever else, when you trust in your authorities, a lot of times it's actually the opposite of that, where if you think they were too light on you, you can't hold yourself to a higher standard. Because I have actually gone down that before where I'm like, should I have been, should I have been disfellowshipped? Like, should I have actually, like, was, were they, did they do the right thing? Should I have been disfellowshipped? And it kept popping up what President Shumway said, which was no. They wanted you to have a formal, he wanted you to have a formal probation. And so that was interesting because I think that a lot of times it's like we go the other way. We go too much the other way. We're expecting more lashes. We're expecting more of like the discipline to come down on us for it to be harder for it to be uglier but a lot of times it's not and that goes back to that whole thing where it's like repentance is truly the best thing you could do for yourself right yeah and i i think i <clears throat> i think i went in i mean just like i said i went in thinking i was going to be excommunicated right i'm thinking worst case scenario right mm -hmm. and then i leave there you know and then go back and meet with bishop and everything and you know he's he said the same thing like I've prayed about this. I've talked to stake presidents about this and we feel that this is the right path for you. Yeah. Right. And I, I completely had the same thought. Like that I, I should be, I should have way worse. There's no way I should have way worse than this. This is not like, this isn't the right punishment for what I've done. Right. So I think we all do that. Yeah. We can be harder on ourselves sometimes yeah. than what the Lord will require himself. No doubt. Um, so anyway, uh, that's, that's the gist of the story. I, I, um, would want to say too, that like these things, this is not an overnight, like, I think we've talked about this before, but what's funny about repentance is that a lot of times I remember a bishop telling me this one time where he's like, you know, if you walk out of here and were to get hit by a car, you'd go straight to heaven. Which is kind of a funny way of putting it because we don't even believe that happens anyway. Like people, you go to the spirit world, but you're in paradise or <laughs> spirit prison or whatever. But I don't even think paradise is like uh, freaking roses. I think it's more like work. I think it's like, hey, help the, pe help the people that need help in the spirit world anyway. So, um, but he, it, his whole thing saying like, you'd make it to paradise, but you know, you'd be fine. You'd be taken care of. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's like deathbed repentance almost like. <laughs> Maybe it, maybe I can get hit by a car when I leave this building. <laughs> and you can too. Right. <laughs> For all the
only $39.95. Plus shipping and handling. Yeah. One way ticket to heaven. Right when you're leaving your bishop's office, we'll make sure we come just barreling down a road. <laughs> you can just, by the time you look down on your phone, it'll all be over. Yep, you'll be good. <laughs> that was like a dark turn. Yeah, real dark. No, I mean it was like that was that was what resonated though, and and what's funny is that it took me even longer. It's like so ridiculous how long it takes to learn some of these lessons sometimes. But, um, that sure he's right. That bishop was right. But do you know what takes longer than just a second? Like sure, repentance brings purity. Right, you are clean once again. But do you know what it doesn't bring? transformation Mm -hmm. and that's a huge difference where the transformation is still required for us to make it to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom or a high degree of the celestial kingdom or even the terrestrial kingdom like just because we're clean doesn't mean we're still going to make it to like the top level it's going to be like you have to have a mindset where you still don't have vices because guess what you can repent but those vices are still going to exist transformation takes time like we have to like get over our addictions we have to overcome these vices we have to be better people over time and prove that and so that's i don't know that's kind of something i had thought about a lot where it's like yeah these these things certainly take time you do not like just repentance does not bring these perfect next day actions in fact one of my so god's army is kind of a cheesy movie to bring up in general have you seen it no Okay, so God's Army, you know, you know what it is, though, right? It's that movie about missionaries. They serve in L.A. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. it was kind of it was kind of a groundbreaking movie because it was um, you didn't really see like Mormon movies on the big screen, and this was back in like '99 or something, 2000. And um, but it was cool. It was cool to go to a movie theater and see that movie. Um, anyway, one thing I didn't really like about that movie, among many, quite frankly, but it was actually kind of well done in some ways too. It wasn't a bad movie, but, um, was that this, the protagonist, the main missionary in it comes from like a family that never really cared about the gospel. He was one of those missionaries that like, Hey, like repent for everything and then just go out on a mission, you know, tons of missionaries like that, right? It was before the raising of the bar type thing. Um, and so he just kind of felt like he could just get by as a missionary, I think. And he was always getting lectured by his companion. And it was just like, hey, like, if you don't want to be here, like, then, like, what, what, why are you out here kind of thing, right? I don't think they ever had a conversation, like, quite that direct. But that was the idea. And he had this moment where he had witnessed, like, the spirit, like, really, like, like, this guy was able to, like, walk again or something like that on his mission. While he, like... It was a member that wanted to go on a mission. Anyway, I can't even remember the details, obviously. But the thing that I didn't like was that he had this moment where it's like this come to Jesus moment where he like sat down on his knees. It was like in the middle of the night. He was in his apartment and he like felt the spirit and he just started crying. And he's like, wow, like I know my purpose. I know why I'm out here. I know why I'm a missionary. And the next morning he's up before his companion. He's like, let's do some good. What I didn't like about it is that transformations don't really happen that quickly. Like, you can have that experience with the Spirit the night before. You can feel this profound love like you've never felt before. But guess what? Your physiological side of things, your brain, the way you've been conditioned for your whole life up to that point, 
is not going to all of a sudden be like the next morning, I'm a different person. Now, you'll have, you'll be motivated to be a different person. You may be able to get out of bed a little bit easier the next day, but it's not going to change everything just like that, I don't think, at least in my own experience, which I do have an experience like that on the mission where I was like, I woke up the next day still being like, gosh, I kind of still don't want to be here. Even though the night before I had a really amazing experience with the spirit, but every day got a little bit easier. And that was the transformation that had taken place. That's what it comes down to. It's the little bit every day, right? It's the 1% better every day, right? Moving upward and onward as best as possible, right? We're still men. We're still, you know, living in the world, you know, the natural world, natural man, thing like that. Um, and it just, it takes time. It really does. Right. Like, takes 21 days to break a habit yeah right like it takes time to break those habits that we may have or um you know just life changes in general you know it's true man so my own summation is that i didn't transform overnight i didn't transform from that one experience and I have made subsequent mistakes, but I can confidently say that my mistakes have not been the same. There have been similar ones, but there haven't been, like, it has not been the same reason why I had that disciplinary counsel in the first place. I've still had the vices that have carried over, and here we are five and a half years later, and I feel like I'm in a very good place. But I still don't feel like I'm out of the woods. And maybe that's the point. Maybe none of us are supposed to feel like we're out of the woods. Maybe that's why daily repentance is a thing. Other words, In other words, I'm saying like I still have a long way to go. But I feel really good about the lessons I learned five years ago in that disciplinary council. And that foundation has become amazing because it's introduced me to the idea of like, hey, repentance is a real valuable gift that we've been given. And the atonement is the most amazing thing to ever happen to any of us. It is an absolute miracle that we can cause unbelievable damage in people's lives and still have some way of getting it repaired because of the atonement. Like you can literally take any damage you've done and there can be something learned from it and growth can take place. It's not entropy, right? Entropy is this law of increasing disorder where things just get worse like you make a screw up you enter in someone's life and you wreak havoc and that can never be undone if anything it'll just devolve from there but with the power of the atonement their lives can be repaired forgiveness can be made amends can be made and your life can be changed and it's and i mean that's what i, I like focusing on the atonement during christmas you know i think that's Maybe something that's a little bit overlooked these days, but I'm glad we're kind of talking about this mid-December, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I actually went and got a visit with uh, my bishop on Tuesday, and we talked about that foundation, right? Those spiritual moments in our, in our spiritual lives, okay, that we can build that foundation on, okay? And... My bishop was a baseball player as well. So, of course, we relate everything to baseball yeah. and do things like that. And uh, he told me this story about how he was struggling at the plate, but he kept focusing on his failures. Okay? So, 
in baseball, if you're a good hitter, you're hitting, you know, 300, okay? It's a very good hitter, okay? Three out of 10 times, okay? And those three little hits that you got outweighing the seven, okay? And that's the way we have to look at our spiritual foundation, okay? What are those three building blocks, four building blocks that we're based on that carries our belief and our spiritual thinking, okay, to outweigh the seven, okay? Because we all have seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 100 failures, okay? But as long as we have those three, they're always going to be outweighed, no matter what, at the end of the day. Yeah. And if we can remember those three things, we'll always have that momentum going forward. Dude, I like that. That's a really good analogy. Preach. Love it, man. Shout out, shout out Bishop Durham for that one. Yeah, for real, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's the gist of my story, man. I love it. Yeah. That was a, that was a big moment in my life. I figured why not share it. So. It's one, one of those three, man. That's what it comes down to, right? And it's uh, it was an honor to be here. And uh, I'm glad I didn't have any tears come down because there was a couple times where I did have to choke it back because... <laughs> The uh, brother Johnston, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That that got me a little bit, and then you know, remembering the feeling of myself walking out of the bishop's office. Yeah, and knowing how powerful it truly is, and I hope that anybody that's listening and if they're contemplating this, it's it's life changing th- stuff. It really is. <laughs> so you know, don't don't be afraid. Don't you know? Don't hesitate, and you know. Your Heavenly Father wants you to return to Him. And He gave His only begotten Son for us to be able to do that. You know, and He's our brother in arms and He's uh He's gonna be there for us. Be be there for us. Um, you know, standing right next to us, sitting in that seat right next to us. Not uh there's no gap between us and and, and Jesus Christ sitting on sitting on that chair. No gap whatsoever. Yeah. That's right. You guys are right next to each other in the movie theater. Watching your life on display. <laughs> Would love it. Would Man. love every minute of it. Well, thanks for being here, brother. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you again to Brian Harper for joining the pod. As I had mentioned in the episode, uh, we'll see Brian around a lot more often. And I'm not talking about recurring guest status here. I'm talking legitimately Brian's going to be around, hopefully, kind of more at a full-time basis. Now, I don't know exactly what that entails, but I'm thinking... You know, if I try to keep up like a podcast a week, maybe two podcasts a week on occasion, bringing him on regularly, as in he's involved in the segments, he's involved in the main part of the episode if we want to interview guests together, things like that. But we're still kind of hashing out the details. He said he's in. We're going to go from there. And I could not be more grateful for that because I've enjoyed my time as I've gotten to know Brian a lot better. And we've really connected on a lot of different topics and it's been fun. He's really easy to talk to. He's, he has a gift for conversation and relationships in general, I think, and I just feel honored that he would uh, like to be in this endeavor with me. Um, from there, I think I'm just going to kind of close it out because we did kind of touch on a lot of spiritual topics, and so I didn't really feel the need to kind of do this more gospel segment here at the end, but hope you all enjoyed it. hope you all are uh, gearing up for a great Christmas and coming off a nice weekend. It is a time of year when you just kind of have to reflect on 
everything that we've been blessed with. Now, it's unfortunate that it only happens this, and it doesn't only happen this time of year, but it is one of those things where we kind of think about it a little bit more often, maybe this time, this month, but let's take advantage of that at least, right? Maybe try and be better about it throughout the whole year, but look for opportunities to serve, look for opportunities to tell those people that we're close to that we love them, and um, just be grateful for everything that we have because we do have so much, and I really do believe that that is one of the cures for depression, and I believe it's one of the cures for just living a good life i guess when i say cure i guess i mean one of the keys to living a good life so anyway love y'all have a good one hope you have a wonderful christmas season we'll see you later this week i've got an episode pretty much ready to go and uh we'll uh close it out with that Takes time, I, I, if it takes time.